You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. We've had a few babies born amongst us in the last few years, as you know. We've got uh, Mike nursing Hallie there at the moment, our newest addition, and uh, on one of the other screens we've got um, Charlie and Holly as well. Um, it's a frequent comment you hear when friends meet the new addition to the family is that she has her mother's eyes or he looks just like his father. Now I'm not that good personally at spotting the family similarities but others certainly seem to be able to see them and as the child grows the similarities in appearance often grow too. She has blonde curly hair just like her mum or he's got broad shoulders just like his father. You know, the similarities often go beyond appearance as well. They may have similar personalities and tastes to one of their parents. Our oldest son, for example, has some of the habits and quirks of his birth father, who died when he was less than 18 months old. For instance, he likes to dunk yo-yo biscuits in a glass of cold milk when he's eating them. Oh, sorry, Scotch finger biscuits, I've been corrected. Scotch finger biscuits in a glass of cold milk when he's eating them. It's something his biological father used to do, but it's not something I've ever done. So he didn't learn it from me. And he was too young when his father died to learn it from him. It's just one of those things, a family similarity that's passed down through generations. It's the old nature versus nurture debate. Some things are inherited and we can't seem to do much about them. They're just part of our makeup. And some things are learned, and we learn both good and bad habit, habits from our parents. It would be strange, wouldn't it, for a child to not inherit any of the looks or the quirks or the habits of their parents. If a child doesn't look or act like anyone else in the family, it's natural to wonder how they fit in. Some kids growing up wondering whether they do really belong to the family, whether Maybe they've actually been adopted rather than natural born into the family. When I was young, younger, when I was a kid, you occasionally found out that someone in your circle of friends had been adopted. When that sort of news comes out, amongst children especially, it often makes them the object of mockery, as if the adopted child had any say in their birth circumstances. As it often is with kids, anything will be seized upon to put down another person and to assert your superiority over them. Being a natural-born member of the family is often one of those things. You don't hear much about adoption nowadays. and Some of the stigma has fallen away, of course, but adoption is a relatively rare thing in our society as well nowadays, I think. It's at least in part because there's so many hoops to jump through to adopt a child now that's not a viable option for many. And as I understand it, there's not a lot of babies or young children available for adoption anymore either. That's in part a result of the free availability of contraception, I think, but it's also a result of the easy availability of abortion. It's estimated that somewhere around 80,000 abortions occur in Australia every year. That's roughly a quarter of all pregnancies that end in abortion. In America, the figure is close to a million abortions every year. That's an awful lot of children not available for adoption. In earlier 
generations, of course, it was not unusual for a pregnant teenage girl to be sent interstate to live with an aunt and uncle for several months. The parents would tell their friends that she'd moved to Sydney because she'd got a job there. And once she'd given birth, the baby would be whisked away from her, often before she ever got to hold it. When she'd fully recovered and all evidence of the birth was gone, she'd quit her job, apparently, and move back home. And none of the extended family was any of the wiser. The pregnancy would never be spoken of again. The child didn't exist from the perspective of the birth mother's family. It would be placed in an orphanage and until a couple came along that couldn't conceive a child of their own and who might choose that child to take home as their own. Chances are the child never found out that he or she was adopted. If it was placed with a good family, the parents raised it just like it was a natural-born member of their family. And the adoptive parents wrestled with when, if ever, to break the news that the child was adopted. Some parents will tell the child while it's young and others hold off telling the child until he or she is an adult. The child often feels betrayed then because the parents have kept this secret from them for so many years. It's a tough situation for parents to be in. When is the right time to tell? With the advent of cheap DNA testing nowadays, some people are discovering why they look so different to the rest of the family, why they always felt like an outsider in their own family, even if they were treated like their brothers and sisters. Of course, it's not always a secret. Some parents deliberately choose children from other countries and other cultures, Africa, Romania, countries where extreme poverty or war means the child might face a short, neglected and even brutal life. They see adoption as a way to give a child an opportunity that it would never have in its own country. I think most parents work hard to ensure that the adopted child really does feel like a full member of the family. But when a child finds out that they have been adopted, it's pretty normal for them to want to find out about their birth family. Are mum and dad still alive? What sort of people are they? Why did they give me up for adoption? Do I have any brothers or sisters? And as we get older, it's natural that our ancestry tends to become more important to us, whether we've been adopted or not. If you'd like to open your Bibles to John chapter 8, we'll be picking the text up in verse 31 this morning. Now for the Jews, ancestry was everything. They were the chosen people, chosen by God. They were descendants of Abraham. That made them more special than any other race or nationality on earth. At least in their eyes it did. Jesus would have none of it. They'd been chosen by God, yes. They were Abraham's descendants, yes. But that didn't mean that God was their father, in spite of their protest to the contrary. For according to Jesus, they were showing none of the family traits that would be expected of members of God's family, of children of Abraham. So we'll pick up the text in John 8 verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin 
is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear my word. You're of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is because that you are not of God. It's true, the Jews were descended from Abraham, but that's about as far as the similarities go. Children should have a family likeness to their parents, but they bore no likeness to Abraham nor to God. The evidence that they weren't really sons of Abraham or sons of God is all the way through John's Gospel. It's in their lies about Jesus. It's in their refusal to accept the truth about him. It's in their arguments with him and their rejection of him. And it also shows up in their determination to kill him. Jesus, the true son of God, the true descendant of Abraham. In their rejection and their mockery of Jesus, they even have a dig at his ancestry. We were not born of sexual immorality, they protest, probably referring to the questionable circumstances of Jesus' own birth. They were masters at avoiding the real issues and attacking the man instead. Instead, they show all the family traits of their true father, the devil. The devil was a liar from the very beginning. In the garden, you'll recall his first words were to cast doubt on God's word. And he has never changed his tactics in all the centuries since. And he was responsible for tempting Adam and Eve to sin, thus leading to the very first deaths in human history. The devil is a liar and a murderer. As are the Pharisees. They too are liars, bringing false charges against Jesus, questioning his credibility at every turn, and their murderers plotting his death from the very earliest days of his ministry and not resting until they succeed in having him executed not many months from here. You know, by nature, we too are liars and murderers. It's why we sin in the first place. We too show the family traits 
of our father the devil. By nature, we want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. We want to reject him, to ignore him, to silence him. We'll do anything to avoid him. So how do we get past this? Well, to begin with, we need to be reborn. We need to be born again, born from above, as Jesus told Nicodemus back in John chapter 3. Now, that's a work that only God can do in us, and he does for us. And when he does that, at the same time, we're adopted into God's own family. And we are, in time, remade in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. John the Apostle wrote at the start of this Gospel, in John 1 verse 12, To all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, we have the right to become children of God. And we immediately and subconsciously exercise that right because now we want to be children of God. Part of the transaction is that we are both made sons and declared to be sons of God. Paul, echoing Jesus, wrote to the Galatian church, So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Becoming a son sets us free from bondage to the slavery of sin and makes us free sons of God. We can move about the household of God freely and with confidence. We can come into his lounge room, his dining room freely and without shame. And there's a certainty of security in our sonship because Jesus says the son remains forever in the house. The slave has no claim on the house. The slave can be kicked out, can be sold off. And the slave will die without any share in the inheritance, but not so the son. As Jesus puts it, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. You might have noticed all through this passage and all through my message, there's no mention of daughters. Are women excluded from this? Are they second-class citizens? Not at all. The Bible, we know, was written in a time and to a society where women were second-class citizens. They had no standing in society. Their word carried no value in a court of law. They were the property of their father until they got married, and then they were the property of their husband until death. So in that respect, it's probably no surprise that women are not particularly prominent in the Bible. But the Bible was revolutionary for its time as well. Women have a higher standing in the Bible than in any contemporary document. Women are given respect and honour and dignity in ways that were unimaginable at the time. Witness the way Jesus treated the woman caught in adultery at the beginning of John chapter 8. In Jewish society, it was the sons who received the inheritance. And the firstborn son received a double portion of the inheritance. The only time a daughter received an inheritance was in special circumstances such as being the only child in a family. To be a son was to have a position of privilege in the family in ancient times, and it is in 
many, many cultures around the world today. In contrast, in modern Western society, to be a son is more likely to invoke suspicion and mistrust than respect. But in Jesus Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So women, as Christians, you are entitled to receive the exact same privilege, the exact same inheritance that sons receive. Don't be too quick to get hung up on the sons and daughters stuff. It'll distract you from the amazing grace that God offers to all who put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now there's two ways to become a member of a human family to be born into it, or to be adopted into it. Now obviously no one is natural born into the spiritual family of God. Jesus told Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And Paul wrote, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. Rather we are naturally born into the devil's family, enemies of God and strangers to him. But God overcomes that obstacle by means of the new birth. You must be born again. Our first birth, our natural birth, brings us into a state of alienation from God. But when we're born again, when we're born from above, when we are born of the Spirit, we become children by new birth in His family. That's not the only way the Bible reveals entry into God's family. Not only do we enter by new birth, but we also enter by adoption. The two go hand in hand and the two happen simultaneously. For all the stigma that's been historically associated with adoption, adoption's not a bad thing. Adoption means that the adopting person has chosen you. Out of all the options they had, they chose you. Surely that's got to be a good thing. And adoption gives a child all the same rights and privileges that natural-born children get. Now that's the way the Romans viewed adoption back in Jesus' day. In fact, a wealthy Roman would sometimes adopt an adult male if he had no heirs to pass his possessions onto or if he felt his own natural-born children were unworthy to receive his estate. The adopted child had equal and potentially greater privileges than the natural-born children. The distinction between the Roman practice and biblical adoption, of course, though, is that the Romans would adopt someone with impeccable character to inherit the fortune and maintain the family's good name. In contrast... God adopts enemies. He adopts drunks and deadbeats and the self-righteous and murderers and liars and cheats and adulterers and more. And as Paul put it in one of his letters, and such were you. He adopts these types into his family, saving them from their sin, forgiving their transgressions and shaping them into the image 
of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, God didn't have to adopt us. He could have forgiven us and justified us and made us new creations without adopting us. We could still have been saved, but it would have been a salvation of isolation and individuality. Instead, God brings us into a relationship. First and most importantly, he brings us into a relationship with him. But he also brings us into a relationship with each other. We're not alone. We have brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we share a common ancestry now from all around the world and from every age of history. When God adopts us into his family, he makes sure that we have all the rights and all the privileges that belong to all of his sons. But he also makes sure that we begin to get the same sort of qualities that reflect the family of God, that reflect him. We begin to show the family likeness. And that's what the process of sanctification is all about. God is renewing us day by day, conforming us to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Because God will never have in his family anyone who does not show the family likeness. John wrote in his first letter, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. If you're a Christian today, it's because God has changed your ancestry. You are no longer related to the devil. He is no longer your father. If you are a Christian today, it is natural for you to love Jesus Christ. For in showing your family resemblance, you do as your father does, and you love his son. Now, Instead of tracing your ancestry back to the devil, you can trace your ancestry back to God the Father himself, who chose you in eternity past to give you new birth and to adopt you into his family. And because you are now a family member, he promises to keep you safe and always welcome. For the Son remains in the house forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we all stand before you, Lord, in our natural state as unworthy of salvation, of unworthy of blessing, of unworthy of your good gifts. Lord, we acknowledge that from our birth that we have uh, the devil as our father. We are liars and murderers showing his character, but Lord, in Jesus Christ, by his blood, our ancestry has changed. Lord, you take enemies, you take sinners, and you give them new birth. You change hearts, you change souls, you change minds, you change our spirits, Lord, to be one's are now born from above to be hearts, Lord, that now have ancestry in you and you alone, Lord.
Lord, it's a work we could never have done ourselves. All our works, Lord, lead us further and further away from you. But Lord, the work that you do draws us near, brings us into your family. Lord, we thank you that not only have we been born from above, born again, but we have been adopted into your family, Lord. We rejoice that we have brothers and sisters in every age and in every place on this planet that have the same ancestry now as us, for whom Jesus Christ is the older brother, the one who deserves the double portion of the inheritance. Lord, we thank you that by adopting us we also receive an inheritance, an inheritance of eternal life, an inheritance of a new residence one day, Lord, at the end of days when Jesus comes again to make all things new, Lord, that we will have a dwelling in the new heaven and the new earth with our brother, with our father, with the Holy Spirit, with all our brothers and sisters in Christ from every generation. We thank you, Lord, that this is the work of the Lord and is marvellous in our sight. Lord, we look forward to that day when we will meet you face to face. And in the meantime, Lord, we pray that you continue conforming us to show that family likeness to Jesus Christ. And Lord, as you do that, our friends, our neighbours, our family will see something attractive in that that they will want to know who is your Father. Lord, would you give us at that time words to speak that point to you, point to Jesus Christ, our brother. And Lord, would you open their hearts to receive new birth, new ancestry and adoption as well. Lord, we pray this for our friends and family, we pray this for our nation. Lord, in these difficult times, would you open hearts to receive truth? Would you open hearts to receive a new Father, our God who reigns over all, In the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.